Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter, looking at 1 Samuel chapter 6. And the situation is that the—you'd think, right, that the Philistines would have gotten rid of this thing immediately. Uh, But this chapter is interesting. It goes back to the conversation we were having yesterday with Pastor Dieterding, that, you know, it wasn't really totally clear to them that this was uh, the the work of a foreign god. They're like, well, I mean, maybe it's just, you know, really bad luck. (laughs) And and so you you see this, that they're they're actually uh, pretty skeptical, maybe the way that we would be. Uh, And they're trying to make up their minds, and uh, this goes on for months. And then finally they decide, well, here's what we'll do. Here's how we'll know. We'll make some golden mice and some golden tumors. That's pretty interesting, you know. And I, I still, to to this day, don't really know what golden tumors exactly would look like. That's, uh, but yeah. So that's uh, it's it's a pretty interesting twist here, and I think it tells you a lot about what the Philistines were thinking, um, and, you know, what they really thought of this this God of Israel. So interesting conversation today, I think, we'll be having uh, regarding this chapter, First Samuel chapter 6. And joining us today, we have returning, we've got Pastor Robert Paul, pastor at Memorial Lutheran Church and School in Houston, Texas. Good morning, brother. Good to have you back. It's been a little while. How are you doing, and how are the brothers yes, and sisters good there morning. at Memorial? Everything's going uh, very well. I serve as headmaster in addition to pastor, and so we are blessed to be able to have in-person education uh, in addition to some remote options for a lot of students um, and and flocking from public and looking for uh, not only uh, in-person education, but classical and Christian Lutheran education for their children. So things things are going very well here. That's right. That's right. I, me- I remember you mentioning that 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 you were brought on also as a headmaster at the school. How um, have you guys started up classes then, and how long have you guys been we've, uh, going? We've been going since the nineteenth of August. Um, okay. So, so almost a month now. Um, yep. Yeah, we're approaching that. Um, this was our first full week of school because we we canceled out of caution to Laura uh, last week. Oh, uh, um, right. Right. Uh, which it, it went east instead of to Houston. But um, our first full week of school went very well. Uh, we had to open a second kindergarten class um, because of the, the number of families looking for, for education uh, in light of yeah. all the circumstances. Yeah, you know, I've been hearing that, that actually in a lot of places, um, the Lutheran schools have more students than they even necessarily knew what to do with initially, that... Um, this is a really great—well, uh, it's, it's a good opportunity for us to just to serve uh, our neighbors and to provide something that, you know, is, is a challenge right now uh, for the, the, the public school system, the way it's, you know, uh, been designed in, in many places, you know, just being, you know, very much uh, very, very dense, you know, packing in lots of students into, uh, you know, very big campuses. And, of course, that's maybe not the best model for— the current situation or for any situation but 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 there's a lot of things that go into you know where why why schools are the way they are today and uh certainly not for the topic of first samuel 6 but plague yeah that's right yeah just throw out okay you know what first samuel 6 next time we're just going to talk about the history of schools in america okay for, yeah just 
I would, I would, I would, there's part of me that would, I would love to engage in on that tangent, but let me know when you want to do it. I'll be glad to come back. <laughs> a special episode. We're just going to be talking about public schools and the, the, I mean, there really is a lot. I mean, especially, you know, you're talking about as Lutherans, right? It's saying Luther kind of invented yes. that, but you know, we dig, we digress, right? But sure. Ah. Well, yeah. No class. Uh, if if you're interested, that won't be uh, entire. But I'll do a shameless plug. The Consortium for Classical Lutheran Education's annual conference is at Memorial in Houston uh, this summer, July awesome. 13 to 15. Um, and uh, that often is a topic we discuss. But um, what it's like to to revitalize the education of Luther, to support families, both uh, Christian and non-Christian as they seek to really educate their children, classical Lutheran education provides uh, a very significant um, force for, for families throughout our country. So that conference will be 13 to 15 July uh, 2021 here at Memorial Lutheran Church and School. Good stuff. All right. Yeah, you know what? A little plug. We can do that. That's no problem. Okay, but we should now turn our attention back to 1 Samuel 6. Do you know what a golden tumor would look like? I just—I struggle to imagine this. Is it not just a bowling ball? Like, what, What's a golden tumor? Well, it, it seems to be a similar term that would cover the, the buboes of the bubonic plague. Right. Um, right. So so if you, if you look at— Examples of of the bubonic plague in in a so-called modern context, since generally bubonic plague to us means you know negligible Middle Ages, but probably you know 1350s, uh, yeah, latter 14th century. Um, most likely, that's right. The you'd have to sort of imagine it with the. Um, apart from a face or a body, which is hard, right? To imagine right, little yeah. balls or... Um, yeah. But still, but the, it's, yeah, the it's, word it's still, is still, still evoking images of golden bowling balls. But, I mean, may, maybe there's... Maybe they, they've got something more to it, but... That's <laughs> always, always, you know, the things as as I'm just trying to like, trying to like picture things mentally. I'm like, hmm, how do you do that? I mean, a golden mouse, I can see that, but um, <laughs> well, and perhaps on something flat as opposed to because a lot of this stuff is in relief if you look at ancient yeah. sculpture, um, as opposed as opposed to you know sort of statues. Um, yeah, when you're making all these, the same way that things are fashioned onto the ark. Um, well, that's right. I was actually stone. just thinking about that. Like the, the the cherubim, right, are supposed to be one piece with the mercy seat, right? And so mm-hmm. it's, it's similarly, if you have this thing where it's like, you know, like you were saying, it's almost like in relief or it's like part of it, right? Then you can kind of see like, oh, okay. Like, so you maybe could have like a a surface of some kind with, you know, these things erupting out of it and then... Uh, and, and then the mice, right? Something along those lines. But, but yeah. So that's that's I think maybe a helpful picture just to have in mind as we get ready to read it. That you've kind of got this uh, these, these two things here. You got the Ark of the Covenant, you know, with the with the cherubim and, and the mercy seat and all the the work that's in that. Um, and then you've got uh, tumors and mice, right? And so that's 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 a pretty interesting pair to be visualizing as we go into this chapter. So uh, without any further ado, would you go ahead and open us up with a prayer and then we'll read through the text. Yes. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Gracious God, the Heavenly Father, you have given us the Holy Scriptures, and you have given them to reveal uh, yourself and your work. We ask that you bless our study of 1 Samuel chapter 6, that we may see uh, your law and your gospel uh, here in the text, uh, and that it may be to our benefits and to the benefit of all uh, of all our listeners and to your church. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, so First uh, Samuel chapter 6, uh, we saw last time we were kind of uh, towards the end, I think, we were looking at this pattern that really since chapter 4, the, the Ark of the Covenant has been the emphasis. And uh, here again, it, it comes up, and, and the phrase happens several times, the Ark of the God of Israel. Uh, again and again and again, you know, it's it's his ark or or the ark of the Lord, and so uh, this really continues to be the emphasis throughout this this thing that indicates the presence of God, and um, yeah, just kind of following it, you know, you almost like think of like a like uh, like one of the things I like is uh, I, on my phone I can go to to uh, on Google Maps, it, there's like a this like review button where it shows like where I've been the whole day, and it's just kind of this like map that just kind of traces it out. And I just I don't know. I'd look at that stuff, visualizations like that, and think it's cool. Uh, but like it's like almost like this is like you know the map. It's just following the Ark of the Covenant, and so you can kind of just imagine it. You know, it's it's there in Ebenezer, and then it gets taken over to Ashdod, and it winds up in a few different places, Gath among them, right? And so we're we're just following the Ark of the Covenant, right? And uh, it's like when's it gonna get back to Israel? And looking at this long, snaky path, like, we're just asking ourselves, you know, why is God letting this ark being, like, you know, just carted around, literally, all over the place? And and I think this this is kind of the chapter that's more and more showing us what his purpose might be. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's to judge a lot of people, but yeah. um, knowing, knowing that God's presence is for judgment and for mercy— um, embodied in the ark helps understand the movement of the ark that God works through means to deliver both judgment and mercy um, and his absence of Israel is is actually a visitation of judgment as he's also mm-hmm. judging by his presence the, the Philistines um, and we see both both of those things in chapter six, both both the visitation of judgment um, and the results of judgment uh, in unbelievers, right? Not repentance, but but fear and please get away from me. And right. then uh, uh, the result of judgment on those who should be believers when we get uh, to Beth Shemesh and and the the path of the ark um, before it gets to one of its resting places. Well, and I think too that that twofold purpose of judgment and mercy that that we that we see in a lot of ways that the two are going hand in hand. Um, I mean, this is like the theme of Paul, even like when when he's like in his letters, especially like uh, I'm thinking of like Romans, like Romans eleven, like mm-hmm. uh, the the idea being that when God is dispensing judgment, in some ways it's so that He can show mercy. Right, and, and maybe not even to the same group of people. Uh, and, and I think that that's sort of what's going on here, that 
it's like if the ark is ever going to make its way back to Israel, right? It, it's it, he's got to keep dispensing this judgment um, all over the Philistines until they just okay, we've had enough. We're finally done with this, right? Um, and mm-hmm. now and now it can make its way back to Israel, uh, which is really a, a fascinating thing to think about. That you know, this is not the story about how. Israel like mustered up their forces and said, okay, guys, we're going to get it back. Um, no, God has to, in this kind of really kind of roundabout way, get it back to them, which, uh, well, I, don't know, I, I think that's, that's something for us to be thinking about, but mm-hmm. without Yeah. Well, it's talking, we don't deserve it. I mean, we can, when we get to yeah, the end exactly. of chapter six, we'll, we'll be yep. able to talk about, um, you, you do not, you do not deserve, certainly you don't deserve God's mercy. Um, and and unbelief invites the visitation of his judgment. Uh, and to remember that the traveling of the ark is, is almost on account of the unfaithfulness of Eli and his sons and of those yep. who should be taken care of. And, and remembering that this also is, is taking place probably contemporaneously with stuff like Samson, right? The, their, um, mm-hmm. Dr. Steinman's timelines in the uh yeah um, from abraham to paul you find that if you if you time all these things out there are contemporaneous stories that we generally don't think of because we just think of the order of the books of the bible um right now i'm i'm, I'm no expert i don't have the book in front of me um this is probably according to simon because i do have his commentary out 1068 yeah. is what we're dealing with but um there there are other things going on uh at the same time, uh, and yet mm-hmm. God really this this judgment is not strictly hey let's pick, poke fun of the Philistines. This is judgment on Israel for their unbelief, uh, as well as judgment on on the Philistines for their unbelief. That's right. Like it's uh, I mean it's, it's really judgment on both groups. Also, there's mercy for both groups. So yeah, and I think it's exactly like what you were saying that we're kind of circling around the idea. Like God's doing it this way because they don't deserve it, and they're not in some ways ready for it to come back to them yet. So yeah, I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to getting to that part. Let's go ahead and read it then. First Samuel chapter six here in the English Standard Version from the top. The ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months, and the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, "What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us." with what we shall send it to its place. They said, If you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return him a guilt offering. Then you will be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand does not turn away from you. And they said, What's the guilt offering that we shall return to him? They answered, Five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines, For the same plague was on all of you and on your lords, so you must make images of your tumors and images of your mice that ravaged the land, and give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from off you and your gods and your land. Why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? After he had dealt severely with them, did they not send the people away and they departed? Now then, Take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows on which there has never come a yoke, and yoke the cows to the cart, but take their calves home away from them, and take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart, and put in a box at its side the figures of gold, 
which you are returning to him as a guilt offering, then send it off and let it go its way and watch. If it goes up on the way to its own land, to Beth Shemesh, then it is he who has done us this great harm. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us, it happened to us by coincidence. The men did so, and took two milk cows, and yoked them to the cart, and shut up their calves at home. And they put the ark of the Lord on the cart, and the box with the golden mice, and the images of their tumors. And the cows went straight in the direction of Beth Shemesh, along one highway, lowing as they went. They neither turned to the right nor to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And when they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it. The ark came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stopped there. A great stone was there. And they split up the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the box that was beside it, in which there were the golden figures, and set them upon the great stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices on that day to the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned that day to Ekron. These are the golden tumors that the Philistines returned as a guilt offering to the Lord. One for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, one for Ekron. And the golden mice, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and unwalled villages, the great stone beside which they set down the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua Beshemesh. And he struck some of the men of Beshemesh, because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck seventy men of them, and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. Then the men of Beshemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall he go up away from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to you. Just uh, fascinating here how the, the pattern, as you were saying, of just you know, God shows up with his presence and the reaction, even here, even though it's better, right? I mean, they, they make sacrifices to God. It's still, at the end of the day, go away, <laughs> send it somewhere else, you know? And so that, that same pattern we talked about last time, um, you know, like when, when the Lord uh, was in the, the Gerizines, right, and uh, cast out the demons, and then and the people come from the towns and the villages and say, go 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 on, go somewhere else. We don't want you here. I mean, the, the same pattern, it, it just keeps happening again and again. So, um, yeah, I, I think I think overall, it's uh, it's it's just striking to me how no one no one wants <laughs> this thing to be near them. Um, it's, it's, that's kind of the question I think that, that you get at. I mean, I think it's so uh, fascinating in, in verse twenty. Uh, who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? You know, this holy God, right? I mean, they're, they're just saying mm-hmm. this God is unique. This God is man. You you just don't want to be around him. I mean, no, no one can stand it. No one can can take this. And and I think that's just fascinating that this is how God is revealing Himself here. Well, and even, I mean, I I think it exposes unbelief, honestly, um, even amongst those who are supposed to be believers. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because they, the Levites, are supposed to know what to do with yeah. the Ark of God. 
Um, and the people of Israel are supposed to know right, it, it is they they actually have the texts. They've been taught from Deuteronomy. Uh, they have prophets. They right. It's not a vacuum. Uh-huh. Um, and and it right. They don't make this up on the fly. We're not waiting for the priestly text to be written much later, explaining all of these things. So the mm-hmm. when when God visits the people, the church, the believers, what does he find? And right. What, what I think is, is very telling for us is that in some places he finds nothing different from the Philistines. Yeah. Even though they should be. They should know, right? Uh, so you, you have a great... Um, you have the guilt offering that the Philistine diviners and um, priests mm-hmm. speak of, right? They right. know that guilt offerings are something that, that uh, Old Testament Christians give before the Lord. Um, yeah. And, and, and to a certain extent, when those are right, when those are given in faith, those are correct. They are, they're not propitiatory. Of course, um, they point to Christ. Um, but when, when, when believers are doing those according to the statutes, uh, and the commands of God, they point towards the ultimate giving of mercy of the patriarchy sacrifice of Christ on the cross. The Philistines understand that that's something that's done. They also know the stories of Egypt. Um, they 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 have heard these tales. They are I mean they're they're a few centuries old by now, right? They're 400 years old, but but still they know that that's part of their neighbors, um, the people that they've been fighting against that they've been living with, um, they know that, that it's that God who did these things to Egypt. Um, so, so they know, and I mean, it's, I guess it's good. You brought up the demons, right? They know the facts just like demons know facts. Yeah. Um, and the, the believers who live in Beth Shemesh should be different. They should not only know the facts, but believe the facts, but, and some of them do, Right, they give up the sacrifices, but then God strikes some of the men because they look upon the ark, because they like like uh, the unfaithful men and judges, like the unfaithful sons of Eli, like Eli, are are merely you know clocking in and out. Um, yeah. Or beyond clocking in and out, they are also um, overtly sinning. Like like when we get to the return of the ark and Uzzah, right later in in the Samuels, and Uzzah yeah. tr- uses out his hand to stop it from falling, right, thinking that right. we can help God. Um, looking on the ark as if that's that's what you're supposed to do when it's there, right? They know about the tabernacle, they know about how how the ark should be taken care of, mm-hmm. and yet they don't they don't act that way. So I, I think it's a very telling chapter um, because it illustrates um, what what the result of unbelief is. Um, yeah, and, and well, also and also illustrates what we that that we should instead of trying yeah. to send the ark away that we should be repenting when God. Is I, I think that's I, I think that's 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 right on, and and I think too that. This is interesting. Looking at, at verse nineteen, you know, it says, you know, he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh. 
you know, and, and then it gives us a number uh, that, that mm-hmm. it's 70, right? And and I think that you're right, that it's it's not that like we should be interpreting this as like, well, there just happened to be kind of like 70 bad apples there um, that, who kind of messed things up, but everyone else was like, you know, they had it right or something. But this is really indicative of how, uh, I mean, all of Israel is actually, as you were saying, in a state of um, unbelief, really. And, and I think we can talk more about those numbers when we get back from our break. But uh, hold that thought, everybody. We're looking at First Samuel chapter six here on Nice Strong Word. We'll be right back. Friday, September 4th, 2020, KFUO Radio thanks our day sponsors, Andy and Lauren Bates of Wildwood, Missouri. Andy and Lauren's contribution to help share the gospel of Jesus Christ worldwide was made in thanks to God for their son, Oscar, as they celebrate his seventh birthday today. Thank you, Andy and Lauren Bates, for helping us share the gospel and for being today's KFUO day sponsors. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org careers. Concord Matters is the program where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, Christ-confessing Concordians read through and discuss the Book of Concord, which is our Lutheran confession of faith drawn from Holy Scripture, so that you too may be of one mind and confess with Christ. Be sure to listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio or anytime on KFUO.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Until we convene for Concord again, keep confessing, church. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 6, talking about these golden tumors in mice and, more importantly, the Ark of the Covenant and how no one wants it, um, not even Israel, and what that what that says uh, about what's going on here in Israel at the time. Uh, of course, uh, thinking about just how this really does just flow seamlessly out of Judges, how this is this really kind of chaotic time in Israel's history where, like it says in Judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, you know, so everyone did what, what they felt like doing, what was what their heart told them to. <laughs> uh, and yeah, the result was not that good. If you've got a question or a comment for us, good time to join the conversation if you're listening live, 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314 821 0850. You can also send an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. If you have a question for me or our guest today, Pastor Robert Paul, pastor at Memorial Lutheran Church and School, also the headmaster there in Houston, Texas, 
Uh, you can also get on the live stream, facebook.com slash So we got some questions there we'll be taking a look at in a minute here. want to make sure to thank our underwriters of the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you guys for your support of Thy Strong Word, their website, lhfmissions.org. So, yeah, uh, looking at verse 19, that was the verse we were talking about. The translation is, you know, he struck some of the men in Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the Ark of the Lord. But, like, in, in the Hebrew, it's something along the lines of, like, you know, then he struck upon the men uh, of Beth Shemesh um, for they had looked on the Lord's Ark. Which I, I think is, I mean, like, and it sounds like I'm maybe splitting hairs, but I think that the point is um, he, he strikes 70 of them because he considers that Beth Shemesh as a collective whole has failed. And Beth Shemesh looked upon the Ark of the Lord when they should not have. And so he strikes 70 of them, which is, uh, to your point, merciful because he only strikes down 70 of them. When it, he could have just, you know, been within his rights to just strike down all of them, right? I mean, I mean, just think about that. That uh, basically, you know, the the Philistines did the same thing, looking upon the ark, right? Um, and the whole city of Gath, right, or any of those number of cities that were struck with these plagues. But here, he mercifully only strikes seventy, um, which is in one aspect, yeah, uh, mercy because it's limited. But then I think it's also judgment because again. As we saw in Exodus, 70 is a symbolic number for all the uh, clans of Israel, right? 12 tribes mm-hmm. and 70 clans. And so to have 70 struck down, I think, is a way of saying, hey, guys, all 70 of your clans really have sinned and do not deserve to have the ark in your presence. I, I think it is in that respect, as you were saying, a judgment of unbelief against the whole of God's people— and not just Beth Shemesh here. Yeah, I, I think you can definitely go that route. It is interesting that there's a couple of text things going on in, well, in this are. verse, right? So, so we, I mean, you, we could also talk about the big number, but yeah. even Steinman thinks that that's added in later, um, yeah. the 50,000, because it's just too many people. Um, yeah. Uh, and people try to be creative with that. But even in, this, in the Septuagint, depending on your view of that, in the Greek Old Testament, it actually lists one particular clan yeah. um, uh, as maybe one clan that has not been honoring. But I, I, think, I think that it's probably 70, peop- 70 men didn't do what they were supposed to do. It's a priestly town. They are exhibiting the, the same level of laxity that we see with Eli and his sons. Um, and, and, and in fact, they are because of their unbelief and actions that approach that, that match their unbelief. They're no better than the Philistines. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and I, it's a very important thing for us to, to grapple with as church, right? Church as, as Israel, um, just because you're raised a certain way, just because your parents bring you um, and teach you, um, doesn't doesn't mean that you have your get, get out of jail free card, right? Faith produces fruit, and these priests, um, 
these priestly towns, uh, they they aren't acting in accord with the faith they should have. They're acting in accord with the faith they don't have, right? the unbelief that they have. Um, well, well, we'll just do these things um, as if we're just, you know, fulfilling our priestly duties in the minimalist sense. And it actually means something to be in the presence of God. It isn't, not, thankfully, right, in our churches uh, today, the physical buildings, um, there isn't that threat, like offering strange fire before the Lord and dying. Right. Right. Uh, that that temporal punishment is not there. Um, if if an acolyte you know, lights the candles sure. in the wrong order, he doesn't fall down dead in, <laughs> next to the altar, which is which right. is good. But but it's a good we, thing. Um, Thank God. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's very good. Uh, otherwise, right? It's hard enough sometimes to train young men to be up there. And if they had to worry. Right. Uh, um, so, but, but there is still the eternal punishment that comes with unbelief. Um, that being struck down before offering strange fire is just an earthly demonstration of, of, of the, the lack of faith or the, you know, taking faith and, and perverting it. Um, either towards your actions or um, towards the things you think you deserve. Uh, And the people of Israel, like, like, which we are no different insofar as we are human, right? We, we don't always think about the presence of God the right way. Um, We don't, we don't always think about being in God's presence and God's visitation the right way. We don't want him to be with us. We would prefer that he'd be far away uh, on some days, right? Don't don't look in here, God, right now, um, because I'm oh, having an argument right. and I need to finish it, right? There's all sorts of ways in which the church, right, Israel, um, would prefer to not have God visit them. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's totally, that's totally fair. That I mean, and it just goes along with our our contemporary mindset right that like we prefer that everything we're kind of an app on our phone that we can selectively you know pull up put away put in our pocket turn off right like it's it's there for when we mm-hmm. need it um but then we don't sure. have well, to and I think use that it that's or not even it. just contemporary right that's the contemporary well, application of that sure. mindset i mean uh people people have throughout history mm-hmm. viewed viewed the gods with convenience yeah. No, no, that's right. We, we, we were, we were we actually, them. yeah, Go I was going to say, we actually got into this, uh, I think, I think it was, yeah, I think it was like last, it was, I th- yeah, I think it was actually two, two chapters ago. We were looking at it in first Samuel four that we were really talking about this, that, that, I mean, that really just, you know, the testimony of the Philistines saying, Hey, look, it's, it's their gods, the Hebrews gods who did all that in, uh, in Egypt. I mean, that just goes to show you that, you know, for, all intents and purposes, Israel was polytheistic, um, at least in the the eyes of everyone around them, which probably indicates that they were actually just being polytheistic. So, uh, to your point, yeah, I mean, like the uh, the the modern phone with like its many apps is just sort of like the modern instantiation of polytheism. But you know, it, it's mm-hmm. really kind of the same basic polytheistic bent of like, there's lots yeah. of options out there. Why should I have to say that it, they all fit together? in one big master plan or in one big master hierarchy 
now nah, let's not mm-hmm. do that. Let's just kind of like, you know, this this one on these days, this one on those days. This yeah, one for I these have moods, not this the phone as the, as the altar of the household gods, but I think that that's pretty clever um, be, because uh, that's just the way it is with humanity. Right? Yeah. What we, humanity, insofar as humanity is sinful, is innately polytheistic. We, yeah. we have many gods that we fear, love, and trust. And depending upon the day, uh, certain ones get to be top dog. Um, yep. And and God is not, thankfully, is not content with that. Right? He is a jealous God. Um, he is the only real God uh, amidst all the gods, and and he visits for for the sake of our repentance, of putting away our household gods and not not just hiding them, but smashing them. Um, destroying those idols, uh, and and even among his quote unquote chosen people, that work of God, that law, that alien work, still needs to be done. Um, the idols still need to be smashed. Yeah. Well, and and, and thinking about this smashing, right? I mean, like it. Uh, okay, so I mean, well, it was, you already mentioned it already, so we may as well just like address it briefly. But yeah, in the Septuagint, it doesn't say. That he struck seventy men, but he struck fifty thousand. Was it no? no it's not fifty thousand, is it? Or is it actually? Well, yeah, that's, no, 50, in the, 50, that's 50, in the Masoretic text. Yeah. The the Hebrew oh, well. has has it. It has seven. Most Masoretics have seventy yeah. men, fifty thousand men. Shivim ish. Yeah. Chamishim melef ish. Right. Um, yeah. And and Steinman says that that's a that's probably an early intrusion. Um, to the text, um, because because in order to say that, usually Hebrew would add an and um, and use ish once. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. Instead yeah, of no, that, that is kind of, of that is kind of striking. Yeah. But First Samuel, unfortunately, does have a lot of things that that can cause one to bat an eye, right? To be to is that really what's there? Um, and, uh, and that, uh, that's just the nature of the, of what we've received, which is why the subject can be useful, uh, also cannot be, um, but there are, I, and I highly recommend, um, the work of Andrew Steinman on this because he's very good yeah. at working through those things, um, for the benefit of the, of the church. Yeah, so yeah, so, so you're right that um, th- there are, in fact, maybe even a majority of Hebrew manuscripts that have the the fifty thousand bit in there also, um, though though not not all. Um, but this enough that it shows be, up in Zondervan's reader version. <laughs> well, enough, yeah, enough yeah, no, no, that's right, there. that's right. I think I think the Septuagint. Uh, though I, I didn't, I didn't check, but I, I think the Septuagint is a little more uniform in including it, um, and just you know ha- having just the big number there like all throughout. But yeah, so I mean, so that's interesting that you would have that really big number, and to to the point about it being an early intrusion, you can kind of imagine how. I mean, I mean, it's one of these things like right if you're doing like oral recitation. It's very easy that when you come across like a number and you're going off of like memory and, and recitation, 
that it's just mm-hmm. when you, when you start saying one number, you just, your, your head just kind of goes and just, you kind of keep going. Um, it's like when I'm like teaching like my, my four-year-old, the, the catechism, and it's like really easy, um, for like when we're doing like the meanings of the petitions for, um, you know, like the, because the petitions like again and again and again, it's like, you know, uh, you know, God's like holy or his name, his, uh, name is, is hallowed or, uh, his mm-hmm. kingdom comes right by itself, but we pray in this petition. Right. Um, and so it's really easy for like, any time she comes across the word, but for her just to kind of slip into like, but we pray in this petition. Um, yep. and so, but th- that's not always the case. Right. And, and so there, there's other parts where it's like, you know, but whoever, uh, lives and teaches contrary to God's word. Right. So there's other like places like with the word, but, but it's easiest to slip into it. And so similarly, I think that if you look at the scriptures on the whole, like there, there's a lot of places where you have the number 70 that just kind of keeps on going into a larger number. Um, and it would be kind of easy to think that when in the last part of the verse in verse 19, it says that he struck the people. Right. And, and so th- this is viewed as striking the people and not just like, oh, well, you know, it's just these kind of, you know, everyone else would have done a good job, right? But these 70 bad ones happened to be the ones who was turn it was to go and do stump something with the ark. So, I mean, it really is judgment on the whole people, even if it is just 70 individuals who end up experiencing it, which which uh, which I think it was just complements the point that you made earlier that these like outward physical punishments are, are just really representative of like the spiritual problem that's going on. And so like, even, even in like Corinth, right. When there is a physical punishment going on among the Christians, right. Um, you know, some of you have fallen asleep, he says, right. Like that outward manifestation is just a, a reflection of the inward problem that's going on in the whole Corinthian congregation, which as you were saying is, you know, a, a spiritually damning one if left unchecked. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so the whole people mourn, and uh, it, it's not like they, they have any confidence and like, oh, okay, well, it's just those 70 guys who messed up. So here we'll get 70 new ones who know what they're doing. <laughs> no, it's get it out of here entirely. Like they, they interpret it rightly that it, it's judgment against their whole, I mean, like, like the whole of them. Um, but you know, like you were saying, the response though, is not really like repentance. Cause like, I mean, if it were yeah. repentance, they'd say, oh, we've messed up. We have been like unfaithful in our hearts. We, we need to turn to, to the Holy God. But instead, like, I mean, v- verse 20, it can read like a, like a compliment or something like who, like who is holy like God? I mean, that's the meaning of the word Michael, right? Like, it's just like, who is like God? No one, you know, like, it sounds like praise. Right. But it, it, it's like, it's kind of actually, I feel like a, like a pious impiety here, right? They're just saying like, yes. like nobody can do this. This, the bar is way too high. It's ridiculous. Get it, get it out of here. Mm-hmm. Well, they interpret it as judgment, but they don't just like, uh, uh, in the Peter and the great catch of fish, Walter, Walter says that, that it's a misinterpretation of law and gospel on Peter's part, right? Hmm. God, Jesus is there and causes this great catch of fish. And Peter says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful person. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, instead, instead of seeing that God is there for the purpose of mercy, um, here they they get like half of it, right? God is judging, 
but but it isn't God is judging. Let's repent. It's God is judging. Get him out of here, um, right. which is which is not uh, the the appropriate response of faith. Like it, um, there's a reason why mercy is not going to come, and it's because they are not ready to receive it because they're not repentant. Um, they mourn, yeah. but it's not real. It's not real mourning. It's oh, these people died. I'm sad. Um, well, it, it's it's the, it's the classic. I, not that I'm sorry, but I'm sorry I was caught. Sure, mm-hmm. I'm sorry right. that you felt that way. Um, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, no, no, no. That that's good. That's good, right? I mean, it's like sorry that God, you know, feels this way. That he his standards are so high that he demands some kind of crazy holiness, right? You know. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's that's the question. They're kind of get, like writing themselves a permission slip, right? They're just saying like. You know, no one can live up to these standards. Like God's just—he's uh, not being reasonable. You know, uh, get get him out of here. Um, so yeah, and no, I hadn't made the connection to Peter. That's that's a good one too. So I mean, yeah. So they send messengers to send it off to Kiriath-Jerim, which is just you know, not in my backyard. You know, I mean, it's really—I mean, just think about that too. If they really think that God is this crazy God who just you know punishes people for breaking his ridiculous rules. I mean, they're just—I mean, that's just like, here, Kiryat Jerim, take this. You know, I mean, like, this is really an uncaring way to deal with your neighbor. Yeah. 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 One that stays there. Right. So one of the things that I think is interesting, and, and Simon includes seven one in his treatment, um, that they take it. And if you if you read to 7-2, I know you will when you when you keep working on this, but it, it stays there 20 years. Yeah. And if— if you've been traveling, right, chapters 4, 5, and 6, and the ark is moving on account of unbelief and judgment, and now it stays put, what does that mean? Yeah. Right? Even, even if you want to, right, you interpret it as Beth Shemesh pawning, pawning off God on somebody else, uh, these people seemingly are actually faithful. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, and they are happy for the presence of God. Um, to live with something for 20 years is a long time. Um, and that's right. It, well, it reminds me of Joseph, right? And, and what Joseph says to his brothers, like, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. his brothers just sell him off to Egypt to make money. I mean, so he goes to Egypt because of an evil purpose in their hearts, right? He's like, hey, we, we'll get rid of this guy. I mean, similarly to, uh, you know, uh, I mean, the, the people in Beth Shemesh just wanted to get rid of, right, the Ark of the Covenant, but God uses an evil motive uh, for his good purposes, which is that, you know, it gets brought to then um, Eliezer having charge of the Ark, which, you know, I'm kind of like already, uh, you know, spoiling like my thoughts for chapter seven. But this is pretty fascinating, sure. right? That like, again, we have two sons of a priest dying and then it goes to Eliezer. I mean, this is history repeating itself right here. Um, and we see when we say we see the name Eliezer, we should kind of like breathe a sigh of relief like, oh, wait. Oh, that's a good thing. <laughs> like, like, mm-hmm. like I, I remember when Eliezer took over for Aaron. Like, that worked out better than with Nadab and Abihu, as you mentioned earlier. Well, um, and that also is sort of right, is interesting, too, um, because Aminadab um, can be seen as a combination of those two names. So there, there is a certain amount of yeah, that, yeah, yeah, no. that, you're, that you're hitting on, right? So you have Eliezer, and, and you have... Abinadab, right? Take take the my father from Abihu, and the mm-hmm. Nadab, and you've got and you've got it. It's right there. So, yeah. um, 
what is unbelief in history's past is in Israel's past rather is is belief um, in in other parts of of Israel. Yeah, yeah, no, that's I, I, I love like there's so there's so much like wordplay with the names in Samuel. It's really crazy. Um, and actually, we should along those lines pay attention to the names a little bit. Um, so I, I want to go back to it, it mentions these five different names of the Philistine cities. But uh, before that, I do want to take a look at some of these questions here. So yeah, I think we've kind of maybe sure. already answered some of these here. So this is this is one that came over email. So. Um, Here's the question here. How is a trespass offering distinct from a sin offering? So um, I feel like we probably talked about this in Exodus, but, you know, it's difficult to keep these things straight. But, right, the, the priests come up with this um, idea to offer a guilt offering to the Lord, right? And so, right, so what, I guess kind of this question is just getting at, okay, so what what is this, you know, guilt offering? We talk about guilt offerings, sin offerings, and... Um, all the rest. So, what do you what do you think about like how they came up with this being the offering that they should offer, and, and also just I mean in general, like this is quite the plan, right? Like we're gonna like take these cows away sure. from their calves and then see which way they go. This is this is a uh, pretty interesting. Well, uh, so let's start with the the sin, the sin offering, uh, or the guilt the guilt offering. This is the the verb means to be guilty, right? So and it. When we're talking about the different names of the offerings, it's it's helpful to get as close, I, I think, uh, as close to the Hebrew as as one can, since yeah. there are so many different kinds of offerings um, uh, that cover different things. Mm-hmm. Um, since there are so many different kinds of sin, <laughs> right? Yeah. I, we're we're there's always the well, well, sin is sin is sin. Well, okay, sure. Um, insofar as it's a word, thought, or deed against the will of God, yes. Um, but there are different ways of sinning. Um, uh, they they all are against God, but but they're all against God differently. Um, and these, in particular, right, as you um, as we mentioned earlier, the Philistines know something about the different offerings. Um, yeah. Just as they know something about Egypt, right? They mm-hmm. they know that this is a guilt offering because. The, they don't. The people of Beth Shemesh don't get punished for the wrong kind of offering, which is something that certainly happens in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. If you offer up the wrong kind of offering, um, it, it it is something punishable, and and I, I I think that makes sense because, again, the purpose of the offerings is to point towards the mercy of God, and and when you when you think you know what God needs. Right. I know he needs this offering. Um, it is showing that you're not trusting in God's word and his work. You're actually trusting in your own uh, interpretation of his word and yeah. his work. Um, so so in this case, we're dealing with a guilt offering. Um, uh, Leviticus 5 is the best place to look for the rules, right? <laughs> the rights, uh, as well as 7, um, to specifically cover this kind of offering. Mm-hmm. Well, and then it's interesting to think about the, the context where a, a guilt offering is is offered, um, and, and and one of them I'm trying to think about this here. I, I think is in connection with cleansing people. Um, like like I'm, I'm trying to think if I if I get this one right, but there's there's a couple of particular ways of offerings um, that are, for instance, like if someone is. Uh, 
Yeah, you know, that's right. I think this is for the cleansing for leprosy. Um, that there's this, this one where there's a guilt offering specifically that's mentioned, right? And then you, you do this uh, putting some of the blood on the person's right ear, and there's this very particular uh, way of doing this. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's, all, it's only with like the consecration of the priests and with uh, cleansing someone from leprosy that this is mentioned. But that would be really interesting as a connection if that's what they've kind of discerned, that we have these tumors, right, this like uh, physical ailment. And so, well, you know what God say? Like, well, you got to have a guilt offering. Right. I mean, so they, they want like cleansing um, to, to happen. And it, it seems like this is affected more than just Ashdod and Gath, but it goes and mentions yes. like all, all these five cities. And so, and, and of course, the well, mice. looking back, looking at Leviticus 5 um, yeah. with the law for guilt offering, verse 15, I think will provide some helpful direction. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, If anyone commits a breach of faith and sins, a- unintentionally in any of the holy things, he shall bring it out um, uh, to the Lord as his compensation. So you, then you have also deceiving the neighbor, right? You have um, any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done. So there's, if, if Leviticus 5 dictates it, then actually the Philistines get off with the guilt offering because they don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unintentional <laughs> um, which, sin. Yeah, which to a certain extent, they don't, um, right? They're trying to get rid of the Ark now. It, they're no longer right. sort of sitting out of, I want to keep the Ark, right? They know what it means to keep the Ark. It's bad. Dagon fell down. Um, uh, but but the, the punishment that happens to the Israelites right. is not for unintentional sin. Well, yeah, but but it is interesting, I guess, to, to that point that like this would be God mercifully counting what they have done, right, as a lesser thing. Mm-hmm. And so back to like Romans 11, where God is being merciful, even with like the the Judeans who execute His Son, who persecute the Church, right? Um, that God uses a series of judgments to you know who people who say get out of here to spread the gospel all over, and through it He shows mercy and blessing like with joseph so so yes yeah it's a, it's a great beautiful picture like that thank you so much brother glad you could plug lutheran schools a little bit god bless the school Christ year and looking forward to having you on again soon lutheran church missouri senate office of national mission everybody that was pastor robert paulett memorial lutheran church and school in houston texas we're gonna actually take a look at a psalm for the holiday but then we're gonna get back into samuel till then i'm pastor ag espinosa peace online at kfuo.org Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.